Thank you, Pastor. I'll take this. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. So um, maybe I should have brought a mask this morning. Maybe not. <laughs> you know, to ward off the sickness. I have to admit, I did spend a few um, moments last night coughing more than I was sleeping, so I really hope I don't catch what is inevitably coming around. Um, in fact, I'll speak against it. Yeah, my wife is making this sign as, we, as I speak right now, so let's pray over that, actually. Let's pray over everyone who's out um, right now due to sickness. Let's pray over the rest of us that we would be uh, protected from the worst of it. Lord, I ask Jesus that you, in your, in your power and in your love, that you cover each of us, Jesus, and you provide healing and comfort to everybody. You provide healing and comfort, Lord Jesus, to those that are feeling sickness here this weekend and to the rest of us that you provide protection. In Jesus' name, I claim it. Amen? Amen. Amen. It is today, currently 1036 a.m., February the 24th, and I'm going to try my best not to make you guys run around and jump around too much, and I'll also try not to keep you here too long this morning. Um, But it is the 24th of February, and so 10 days ago, we celebrated Valentine's Day. That's right. And so the thing is, 10 days ago, and it, you know, Walmart's already putting out Easter stuff, and so you would think Valentine's is long ago, and it's, it's gone, it's past, it's behind us, and, and I thought so too, and I was planning to preach something else entirely until, until it just came back around again, and you could say that I was love-struck. <laughs> and, and there's this message of love, and I think what it is is we've been talking about love for most of the month. Um, with the young people in youth class, and um, out of some of those discussions, I found things that spoke to me, and I learned, and so I want to share some of those things here this morning. So, if you could, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, verse 35. John 13, verse 35. This is going to be a familiar verse of Scripture Um, Hopefully, it's familiar to all of us here. Um, 13.35, John. I'll read it here. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Amen? Amen? If you have love one to another. You may be seated. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is uncommon Love. Uncommon love. And so, I have to say, we had the distinct honor of being joined by um, what we're now affectionately referring to as our super youth this Wednesday in youth class. The, uh, the hyphen age students graced us with their presence, and they joined our class this Wednesday. And, you know, there were several already out with the flu. It was kind of the first wave was already starting there. So we really just kind of combined. And I'm thankful that we had an audience there to teach. And out of that class, I learned a few things. And so if you were a hyphen aged person in that class, some of these things might sound a little familiar uh, on what we talked about Wednesday. But let's go ahead with this. And so that said, while we were discussing this, we quickly realized that the definition that the world has of what love is doesn't quite add up to the fullness of love that you and I have the opportunity to experience here 
today, this morning, every day. Amen? Amen. The world just doesn't quite get it. You could say that authentic, biblical love is an uncommon love. Authentic, biblical love. As in the type of love you'll find when you read the scriptures. The type of love that you'll find when you read about a God who the moment after mankind entered into sin, he decided, I'm going to make a way to reconcile with my creation because I love them. I'm going to make a way to save them and pull them back into my presence because I love them. Not because they just fell, not because they just sinned, not because of whatever choices I know they're inevitably going to make. I want them to be with me because I love them. That's the uncommon love that we find in the Scripture. And so perhaps it's this uncommon love for one another that marks you as one of his disciples. And it marks me as one of his disciples. It's this uncommon love that you're not going to find on the shelf when you're out in the world shopping for everything that it has to offer. It's this kind of uncommon love that helps us to understand what it is to really be his. And perhaps it's this uncommon love that transforms you as you seek to continue your journey as a disciple of Christ. It's this uncommon love. It moves us. It changes us. It transforms us. You know, there's different types of leadership, and I'm not going to go too deep into it, but there's really two um, that I want to talk about just for a second, sidetrack really. Um, There is transactional leadership, as in, if you do this, I will give this to you, right? If you do this, I will give you a carrot. I think is the analogy that's commonly used. It's the carrot, right? Right. The carrot and the stick. And then there's transformational leadership. That is, I love you. You are worth it and you are worthy of me pouring out what I desire for you. And I'm going to help you change and I'm going to help transform you into something greater and something better. And I believe that the love that God has for us, the leadership that he has for us, falls into the second category. I believe that when he looks at us, he says, I'm transforming you. I'm making you new. I'm giving you a new heart. I'm transforming the way you think. I'm transforming the way you perceive things. I'm transforming the way you react to things in the world. I'm going to make you new, is what God tells us. It's this uncommon love. After all, it's by this uncommon love that men shall know that you are his disciples. If you have love one to another. So let's see what this means. First of all, let's find Peter in the book of Acts. Peter, God says, Peter, what God has made, do not call common. You remember that scripture. What's happening here is this is the momentous occasion where God introduces Gentiles into the church. This is the occasion where God's spirit poured out on us, you and me, the rest of the world, outside of just the chosen people that initially received the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. This is when God says, it's not enough that my chosen people, the people of Israel, have my spirit. I want the rest of the world now to be reconciled to me. So he's speaking to Peter in this occasion, and he's saying, Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common. And so Peter, this is a man who has observed Jewish tradition and law, This is a man who says, he says, I've never eaten anything unclean. I've never eaten of the unholy stuff that I'm not supposed to touch. He says, me, I've never touched that unholy. Me, I've never associated with the likes of the unrighteous. Look how clean my hands are. 
It's what Peter's communicating. He's, Lord, I have kept your law and the tradition that we, the Jewish people, have upheld. I've kept these things. I, I am clean, Peter attests. Oh, man, I put some water down here, but I seems to have walked away. Oh, there's some right there. I like to keep the pulpit cut. <laughs> Thank you. Forgive me. I'm getting a, a little bit of that uh, stuff we just prayed against is creeping up in my throat. And so we find Peter's responses. He says, Lord, I've never touched this stuff. I don't eat this stuff. And Lord says, Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common. And so this, consider it a rebuke against Peter. Consider this a rebuke that God says, I'm doing a work here. I'm transforming this thing, and it's not up to you to determine if it's common or uncommon. It's not up to you to determine what's right or wrong here, Peter. I am the Lord, and I am pouring out here in this place. And so he's telling Peter this thing, and as he does that, he's calling the Gentiles into an uncommon love with him. And likewise, I would say that God is now calling each and every one of us, me, you. He's calling you out of the common And he's wanting to express an uncommon love to you. And he wants you to express an uncommon love one to another. So that's why he says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So in order to understand what this uncommon love really means, first let's frame it up. What is it to be common? What's a common understanding of love? And so, this is the part, Nolan, that might sound a little familiar from Wednesday night, but I feel like it's applicable here too. There's this word association study that I found on Google, because you can find anything on Google, right? And that that sounded like a plug. I feel like Google should pay us royalties now. You know what? Google's probably even listening to the podcast, I'm sure, once it goes up without us even knowing about it. They're probably doing all the, you know, not a conspiracy theorist here, but... Nonetheless, I found this word association game on Google, and the study was involving over 300,000 individuals, tens of millions of responses, and it gives us insight into the most common understanding of what people think when they hear various words. And so I'll share some of the results. Um, First of all, this thing, it's called the human brain cloud, is, is what it's called. It truly is. You can Google it. The human brain cloud. And I'll give you some stats. 310,605 participants, including me, because I tried it too. And 773,023 unique words are um, databased in this thing, right? And then of those participants and those unique words, there are 10,219 and some change total word associations. And so how it works is you're given a word and you type in the first thing that comes to mind. So a word pops up on the screen, you type in what it makes you think about. And so this gives us a little bit of insight into the common understanding of what people around the world, because this is on the internet, think when they see an English word. What do they think about that word? And so we're going to do a little exercise here this morning, and it works like this. When I say a word, you say the first thing that pops into your brain box, okay? 
The first thing that comes to mind, all right? I'm giving you permission here. This could get dangerous. But I'm giving you permission right now to be loud and interruptive. Yes, that is a word, interruptive, okay? The first response I hear is what we're going to go with, okay? All right? The first word is, and don't, don't put it up yet. Don't, uh, don't put up the results until after we get the response because I want to see how accurate we are here. Practice round. I'm going to say a word, anyone. Scream out the first thing that comes to your mind, please. I hope it's good. Band. Music, clarinet, I heard it. Go ahead, throw it up there. Let's see what the most common things are. So the thicker the, the thick, oh look, music. Who said music? You've done this before. The thicker the line, the, mo, the more commonly associated that word is. And so when we hear the word band, rather when the 300,000 participants of this study hears the word band, they think music, rubber, like rubber band. You know, who thought about Bandwagon, guitar, rock, Band-Aid. Band-Aid was the first thing that came to my mind. Okay? That was a good practice. Now, for the first one, don't put it up yet. Cat. I heard dog. Dog. <laughs> we are some opposite people, aren't we? We, th- we hear one thing and we... I'm sorry. I'm not calling you out on the contrary nature of your response, brother. Um, but that was good. Let's throw it up there because dog is on the list. In fact, it's the biggest one. Dog. People hear cat, they think dog. They think meow. They think cute... Kitten, hairy, power. Some of us might be thinking um, tiger, matte orange, yuck. I heard a yuck. (laughs) Some might be thinking Franny. I don't know. Um, All right, next one, chicken. Egg. I heard egg. Let's throw the results up there. Chicken. Egg. There it is. Little. Chicken little. Chicken nuggets. KFC. Fried chicken. Chicken run. Chicken soup. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. I'm sorry. That's, that's not what people think about when they hear the word chicken, apparently. All right. Stop. Go. What was the first one I heard? Go. Go. Stop. Go. Again, we are some contrary people, aren't we? We hear one thing, and we want to say the opposite. Stop. I want to go. But it's true. Put it up there. Stop, go. There it is. Uh, look at that. What's that top one? Stop. In the name of love. That response was given enough times for it to show up in the database. Stop. In the name of love. What's that one on the bottom? Hammer time. I don't know why. It reminds me of you, brother. Stop. Hammer time. Stop, go, stop, run, stop, sign. Red, start, stop, pause, halt. All right, last one. Love. God. I heard God. I heard something else too. We'll go with it. God. Let's put the results up. Sadly, God is not on the list. And so this gives us a bit of an illustration into the world's perception of what love is. It really, it illustrates a lack of depth and meaning. It illustrates, you could say, a form of love, but lacking the power thereof. First John 4 and 8, God is love. And so what this really illustrates is a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From this, the scripture says, turn away. And so what do we see? Love, me. 
Me, self, selfishness, hurts, love hurts, mistrust. I didn't, I didn't manufacture these responses. This, this came from the study. Love, care, peace, adore, life, girlfriend. There's probably a large contingent of the population that might have been adolescent boys. I don't, I don't know. Love, girlfriend. Like, passion. Nothing up here screams God. These are all worldly understandings of what love is. This is the extent of what you'll find in the world when you go seeking love, common love, not the uncommon love that you'll find in God and God's people. Amen? That's what this illustrates. So don't relegate love to an image of a soft, quiet place of yin. Don't relegate it to peace, care, life. It's so much deeper than that. Don't confine love to the commercial expectations of what relationships should be made out of. You know, we just had Valentine's Day, and some people scoff at that holiday and say, well, it's just a Hallmark holiday. I don't know who would say such a thing. But really, love is so much deeper than what we have been shown by the world. Love is so much deeper than what commercialism places in front of us. Love is so much deeper than what Hollywood shows us when they show us, you know, these moving movies that, you know, they're expecting a tearjerker and all that stuff. Love is so much deeper than all of those things that we see on the screen and all of those things we're told that we need to participate in. Love is more. Don't confine it to what the world defines love as. Your calling, church, is to show an uncommon love Your calling is to show that love. And by showing that love, you are showing God to the world. You are the uncommon love. And so, by this shall men know that you are my disciples, the love that you have one for another. To be a disciple, to be a true follower of Christ, you must learn to love. Did Jesus say, they shall know you're my disciples by how modest you dress? Did he say, they shall know you're my disciples by how much scripture and how quickly you can throw it at somebody? Did they say, by how often you speak in tongues? No, he said, it's by the love you show one for another. And I'm not chopping down those things. I'm not chopping down holiness and speaking in tongues. But what it should really illustrate, those things are important and they're necessary. But what this should really illustrate is the magnitude of how necessary love is when it's placed at or above the level of these things that we participate in when we're truly connected with God's spirit and we're slain in the spirit and we're speaking in tongues, we're speaking life into one another. But what, what this tells me is that love is that much greater. God's calling to love is just so much more. It's the love that you have one for another that defines us as one of his, as a disciple. So how can you know that you're doing it right? How can you know? Thankfully, the scripture helps us. We've been given several measuring sticks, if you, if you will. And here's a few of them. Let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, and you can go up and go ahead and put the next one up. It says that love is patient. Love is kind. You may or may not be able to read this, but I'll read it for you. When we studied this out as a class, this is what we found. God's telling us to be my disciple, to be known as one of mine, 
The world's going to see the love that you have one for another. And then the scripture goes on to define what that actually means for us. And so if there's something we can do, if there's an action we can take, love is patient. Love is kind. Amen? Love does not envy and it does not boast. It's not proud. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. Another translation says it does not dishonor others. We should seek to lift each other up, not dishonor others. We should seek to protect one another, not magnify each other's mistakes. It does not dishonor others. It does not insist on its own way, it says. It's not selfish. It goes on. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It's not angry. It doesn't hold grudges. Another translation says it keeps no record of wrongdoing. And so these are hard statements to really think about because it seems like it's easy enough to, to be patient and kind. That's an action I can take. I can choose in the moment, you know what, they're wrongdoing me, but I'm going to have some patience with them because you know what, I have love. I'm going to be kind to this person despite what they're saying to me right now. We say that, kill them with kindness. What does that actually mean? Kill them with kindness. But that's a phrase we make. Kill it with kindness. Probably it means kill that situation with kindness. Kill that conversation with kindness. And we find it easy when we're filled with love. We find it easy to respond in these ways with patience and kindness. We find it easy to silence ourselves and not boast, not be arrogant and proud sometimes. But there's some harder ones in here. It does not hold any record of wrongdoing. Have you ever held a grudge? Have you ever remembered what somebody said to you? Have you held it against that person? And so what I'm giving you here is a measuring stick. This is God's measuring stick. If you want to measure your discipleship, this is it. This is one of them right here. And while it's easy not to envy and boast, sometimes we find ourselves in a place of bitterness. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we just don't want to let go to what somebody did to me. I just don't want to let go to what somebody said to me. I want to avoid that person. I don't want to make eye contact with them. We find ourselves in this place, but that thing is just as important as showing honor and patience and kindness. And so it's not as though one is more important than the other. God says, if you are one of my disciples, you will exhibit all of these traits, right? Do not hold grudges. It says, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing. In other words, it doesn't delight in evil, bad, wrong. How many times have we uttered the statement, they're going to get what's coming to them? Oh, they're going to get what's coming to them. <laughs> you know, we, we use scriptures like, like, the first shall be last and last shall be first, so I'm just going to go ahead and make myself last right now so that, you know, I can be first over in the future. And I'm not sure, sometimes it seems like the motivation is a little off there. Sometimes it seems like the motivation doesn't quite line up with 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when it says, do, do not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love does not delight in evil, bad, wrong. Love doesn't delight whenever that person had, who had what was coming to them finally gets what was coming to them. That shouldn't bring us joy and delight when we see, you know, sometimes it's humorous and sometimes we laugh, oh, karma, karma got him, but it doesn't line up with the scripture. And so I have to check myself. They got what was coming to them, but why did I think they deserved it? Because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not for me to take 
delight in the falling of a brother or a sister. It also says love rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. In other words, it protects. It protects. It believes all things. In other words, it trusts. And so you'll find the word trust up there. It hopes all things. In other words, hope. And you can think about that in one of two ways. Sure, you can offer an extension of hope. So you can offer hope, a helping hand. You can offer hope that would help someone get through. But I think what this really means is that you need to find that hope within yourself. When you look at that person, you need to find within yourself, I hope for the best in my brother. I hope for the best in my sister. I desire that they would find what God is calling them to. I desire that they would find a transformation in their lives. I desire that God would move upon them in such a way that God would bless them beyond what I've ever felt or experienced. That's the desire that we should have for one another because it says hope. It hopes all things. I hope everyone in here is saved by the grace of God. I hope everyone in here is saved by the will of God. He said that none would perish and all would come to repentance. My hope is that each and every person that I'm looking at right now would find a depth in God's relationship, would find a depth in his spirit, would find that renewing, that reconstruction that he has for us. When he calls us out of the world, when he calls us out of what it is that we were we were created in, and he says, I want to establish a new covenant with you. I want to establish a new relationship. I want to walk with you daily. My hope is that everyone I'm seeing right now receives that, truly. My hope Amen. is that God blesses you. My hope is that God blesses me too. Amen? Because I love you. Love endures all things. It preserves And so when I think about love endures, and I think about the scripture, God is love, and I think about an omnipotent God, an everlasting God, and if God is love and he's everlasting and he's omnipotent, I must believe that love is equally powerful. And the love that I have the ability, the option to give to my brother and my sister is equally powerful and equally useful in God's hands. Amen? It endures. It preserves. And so you might be thinking, all this evidence that we're on trial this morning, that I'm up here litigating, that means I'm a lawyer presenting evidence. Well, I am. Your Christianity is on trial. My Christianity is on trial. My very discipleship is on trial. But here's the thing. You, you are your jury. And I am my jury. And what we've been given to measure up against is right here. God's words in the scripture. As he said, if you are my disciples, the world will know you by the love that you have one for another. And he tells us what that is and what that means. And so... The truth be told, what I should be doing right now is searching deep within myself and really asking some questions. Do I exhibit these? Have I exhibited these? Have I exhibited the contrary of these things to a brother, to a sister? 
And that's what, that's what, what you should be doing right now, too, I believe. And so, if we look at the context of this definition of love, if I read the entire chapter, we're going to find that it starts off with an explanation. It says, so you speak in the tongues of men and of angels. And I'm paraphrasing. So what? If you have not love, it's just a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And so you have prophetic powers, and you understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and you have all faith to move mountains. So what? If you have not love, you are nothing. If you give away all that you have and you deliver your body up as a sacrifice, but you have not love, you've gained nothing, the scripture tells us. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if we look beyond and keep going, it says love never ends. Prophecies, they're going to pass away. Tongues, they're going to cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. But it says love never ends. Again, this isn't to minimize the working that happens in the church. This isn't to minimize tongues and prophecies and knowledge. No, this is to magnify just how important this uncommon love for a brother and for a sister is. To magnify just where God prioritizes this kind of love. And when he prioritizes the love, this is what he's telling us to do, what we see up here on the screen. And so this isn't to minimize the working of the church. This is to edify. We're called to love. And I'm coming to a close really quickly here. I'm coming to a close. So Jesus, he gave us a measuring stick, if you will. This measuring stick is for us to assess our own discipleship, our own Christianity. This measuring stick isn't for you to look at somebody else and say, well, you were rude to me, so you might not be your love. No, no. Because that would defeat the purpose of the rest of the things that we find in, 1, in Corinthians 13. No, this is for you to measure yourself. He's given us the criteria to determine what it is to be a disciple. Patience, kindness, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, does not dishonor others, not selfish, not angry, does not hold grudges, does not delight in evil and wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It protects. It believes all things. It trusts. It hopes for all things. It endures and it preserves. This is what it is to be a disciple, to seek after the character of God, right? Because that's what discipleship is, to become more like that who you are following. When we make disciples, we are disciples, and we're called to make disciples. What are we doing? We're teaching them. We're replicating what God has given us in them. We're replicating what God has shown us within them. We're bringing them up in discipleship. And likewise, we are being brought up in discipleship to take on the character, the very character of God. And God's character is love. God's character is kindness. God's character is truth, protection, preservation. God's character is reconciliation. Amen? And so what I'm going to ask this morning is this. If we would all stand... Just take a moment to, to look within yourself and find, to get love struck, if you will. And think about it. Think about everyone else that's in the room here with us, with you. And I'm going to ask everyone to come to the front. This is what I'm feeling right now. And as you do so, 
find a brother, find a sister, and pray for one another. Because it says love bears all things. So I think that also means that we bear each other's burdens. So find somebody that you would bear their burdens with them. And probably more important, find somebody that you would allow to help you bear your burdens. Let's lift each other up in Jesus right now. Let's lift each other up in his presence, Lord Jesus.